One of the very first songs I ever learned as a new believer. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Which actually then motivates me to be very open-handed about my faith. Because this has so radically changed my life and made my life so significant and so meaningful that it is a driving force. And we're going to look at the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 where he describes where he can't help but share his faith. He can't help but preach the gospel. It has done such a tremendous thing in his life that he is motivated, in his case, vocationally, his entire life, everything is given to being able to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ. We understand this at an elementary level. When anything great happens, we want to celebrate. I was, I was sitting there as we were before the service and during pregame and we're praying and doing and meeting together as a team. And I'm thinking there's just so many great things happening this weekend. We've got several of our college kids back this weekend. I don't know if it's homecoming or they let you guys off and hopefully it's no more shutdowns. Um, but it's great to see these kids have come and been a part of our church, go off to college. And when they're back in town, they're back with us again. That's worth celebrating. I mean, it's just exciting. Archery season opened yesterday. Our hunters are watching on live stream. At least they told me last Sunday they'd be watching on live stream. Um, If you guys have had any luck, feel free to put it in the chat. I'll look at a monitor as soon as I get back down from here. Um, You know, it's just there's exciting things taking place. Did you all hear the news? The Houston Astros clinched the division title. I was I was so excited. Saturday morning, Carrie and I were going to go out on a little date brunch and run some errands for Alexander's birthday, and and um, so I I mean I decked out, put on my Astros shirt, put on my Astros cap, put on my Astros boxers. <laughs> no, I don't I don't have Astros boxers. And Pastor Cody, Pastor Josh, wherever you guys went to sit down, I don't need any. So. <laughs> The last time I made a comment about clothing, the following week they presented that clothing to me. I said, I don't need any Astros box. I was decked out. I looked at Carrie and we were getting ready to head out on the, on the date and she said, actually she didn't say, first I asked her, I said, is this a bit overkill? And she said, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, when something exciting happens, you celebrate it. And that's essentially all Paul's talking about. He's talking about how our faith is an open-handed faith. We want to share it. We we want to give it away. It's it's not ours. It's not like we own it or or possess it. Um, God took over us. God changed us and moved in us. And that has resulted in so many great things from the forgiveness of our sin to the way it leads and guides our families to the moments we have together in corporate worship as a church. It is normal for a Christian to want to talk about it all the time. In 1 Corinthians 9, if, you're, if you've not read it before and we start to read it and look at it, or if you have read it before, you already know what I'm, I'm kind of going to say, it can be a little challenging because Paul is so excited. Paul is, Paul is so deeply, energetically, totally obsessed with sharing his faith that quite honestly, it can make it a little intimidating for us. But the the truth is, the only reason Paul is that obsessive about it is because he loves sharing his faith so much. And he loves what God has done in his life. 
And so we're going to make it maybe a little less complicated and, and look at this passage and understand what happens when we're that excited and how we can effectively and meaningfully share our faith. Talk to our family, which is probably the hardest group. Talk to our neighbors, talk to our friends, talk to strangers, talk to people on our teams and talk to people at school and and have those times together um, where we can tell them and help articulate, look, Jesus changed my life. And no, I don't have all the details and I don't necessarily have all the answers, but this I know. I have met him and he's a part of my life and he's changed my life. And He loves everyone, so there is no life that he can't potentially touch and change and minister to. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start down around verse 16. I'm going to pull some excerpts out of some of these passages to just help emphasize, I think, what helps us. Because I don't want, and I don't think the Apostle Paul wants, and and I know God doesn't want us, when we feel like we want to tell somebody about Jesus. He doesn't want us feeling guilty. He wants us feeling energized. And we should feel guilty. I I don't feel the least bit guilty about telling you that archery season started yesterday. I feel no guilt. Some may be uncomfortable with it, but I'm going to tell you I'm okay. I don't feel the the least bit guilty about telling you that the Astros clinched the title this weekend. I don't feel guilty about that at all. I have a few friends that are Rangers fans. Salvation will cure that. (laughs) That's why God moved us from Dallas to Houston. You know, I I don't feel guilty about that. When I was in school, if I made a good grade, I didn't feel guilty. It was a bit of an anomaly. I told everybody. I didn't feel guilty about it. I I don't feel guilty about telling you that I took my wife on a date this weekend. It is the number one most enjoyable activity I do ever in my life. And um, if you're worried about what's going to happen when the kids are gone, let me encourage you to embrace dating in the latter part of your marriage. I mean, it's just great. I don't feel guilty about telling you that. Sometimes I tell you too much. I understand that. I can do that. I can be kind of repetitive. In fact, we had this one lady. This doesn't have anything to do with the message, but do you want to hear it anyway? I I had a phenomenal hunting season one year. I mean, it was just great. We early teal hunted, maxed out every day. Dogs were running perfect. I mean, everything was good. Dove season was amazing. Um, Bow season was great. Everything went good. And one lady came up to me one Sunday, not in our church. This was a long, long time ago. And she said, I don't really mind the hunting stories, but could you be less graphic? (laughs) I mean, I was just so enthused. I was telling every single detail that not everybody needed or wanted to hear. What about my life with Jesus? Can I be so enthusiastic, so overwhelmingly compelled to share that I always want to talk about Jesus? And I won't be offended if somebody says, hey, you talk about Jesus all the time. Okay, I'm comfortable with that. Maybe I need to moderate and be a little more diplomatic, but I'm okay with it. And that's what, that's what Paul says. He's kind of been defending his ministry in the first part of this chapter. But in verse 16, he switches to why he's motivated and why he does the things he does. For if I preach, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. That's the part I want you to underline in your Bible app or if you write in your Bible, if you don't, highlight in some way a note. I am compelled 
to preach. Now, I'm using the word share because we tend to think of preaching as a vocational activity. So you think automatically, if I just said I am compelled to preach, you're automatically thinking about my teaching responsibilities as a lead pastor in a church. But that's not really what Paul's addressing. Yes, he preached. But for Paul, preaching was a one-on-one conversation in the marketplace. For Paul, preaching was sharing and teaching for so long that people fell out of windows and injured themselves and had to be healed. We keep all the seats close to the ground. So if you go to sleep, you should be safe. You know, it's all compass. And so if you just said, okay, well, this is about preachers. Well, my, my counter to that is, no, it's not really. It's about anybody who wants to share their faith. And it's about all of us, in a sense, preaching. I am compelled to preach. I am compelled to share. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. This is God's expectation. And sometimes pastors are notoriously bad about making that really guilt-ridden. Every one of us is commissioned. Matthew chapter 28 Mark chapter 16, Paul's words later in the book of Acts and in books like Corinthians and Romans, every time it talks about sharing our faith, it is not all of us. No one's exempted, but at the same time, God doesn't want you feeling guilty over something that he wants you to rejoice in. And so when you look at something like this, when Paul says, you know, I am entrusted With a commission, yes, there's a responsibility. Yes, there is a a deep, driven motivation from the heart of God on the calling of a believer in Christ to share their faith. But it is out of the resource of joy that we share it, not out of just some guilt. And that's not what he's implying. He said, what then is my reward to preach the gospel, offer it free of charge, and make full use of my rights in the gospel? Paul felt rewarded when he shared his faith. We are compelled to share. A friend of mine just recently told me he had had the opportunity to share his faith with somebody and walk through his journey, his testimony, his, his remembrance of a meeting Christ and how Christ came in and loved him and cared for him and brought him into that relationship. And he said, of all the things I've ever done as a Christian, sharing my faith with my friend made me more secure in my relationship with God than anything else I've ever studied or done to make me feel secure. When you articulate to somebody the excitement of meeting Jesus, knowing Jesus, living with Jesus, being a part of his family, worshiping as his bride, when you start to articulate and share that with somebody, in those moments, it does something to help us remember Remember what it was like to be that loved. Because at any point in time, we can find ourselves struggling a little and a little off track and and maybe having a hard time remembering. But once we start to articulate it and share with somebody else, hey, this is what it was all about and this is what took place, it rejuvenates in us. And, And like Paul describes it, there is a reward in that action in and of itself. Our goal is to win anyone. And that, that doesn't mean everybody's just suddenly a target. 
But it recognizes that it is our deepest desire as a believer that everyone would know this. We're, we're not interested in, in keeping this in some fashion, hoarding it in some fashion. We, we do that. I mean, even dogs do it. Have you ever seen two dogs eating side by side? And if one leans over to the other bowl, even the nicest of dogs take on a mean spirit at that moment. I mean, you understand this. I mean, I do. You get, you get that cookie, and you're the only one in the room that's got the cookie, and so you eat it kind of carefully and quietly because you don't really, I mean, do you? Maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you are that nice. I don't want to share. We bought some ice cream cones. You know, the kind you buy at the store? Not, not the kind you get like at an ice cream place. And I have to confess, I told my wife, I, I told Carrie, I said, I'm going to put them in the back of the freezer. And then she said, why? I said, not only am I going to put them in the back of the freezer, but I'm going to eat all the vanillas first. Because I know my daughter loves vanilla ice cream, and I know when she comes to visit us, she will eat my ice cream cones. I mean, there's like six or eight in the box, I think. It would help me to share, but I don't want to share. The gospel, the hope that's found in Jesus, it is not something we hide. It's not something we hoard. And we want everyone to know. I love the phrase in the last part of verse 19. Still 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Paul has said in the first part, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, then catch this comment. And I would highlight this one again in some form or fashion. Put it in your notes. I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Now I'm going to be honest, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, hopefully not going to trip out on you and go ultra pastor and get all, get all rough, because I don't want to do that. I want to understand the, the, the excitement of our faith. But if there's anything that really troubles me about the church in this generation, is we have somehow adopted a mindset that says, it's, it's what I want. That is not what Paul says. I mean, I would, I would encourage us to memorize this verse. I have made myself a slave. Slaves, regardless of how they became a slave, in Paul's context, he is probably not talking about military takeover or invasion one nation to another. He is probably talking about bond servants, and he actually uses that word to describe somebody who willingly stepped into that relationship, a form of employment, so to speak, in Paul's generation. But that employment carried no rights. That employment, that employment only carried responsibilities. And you, you did what you were told. And you didn't live with expectations. You didn't live in modern Western culture like ours where the federal government and everybody else is overseeing everything else. Say, no, everything's got to be hired properly, non-discriminatory, you know, financially, everything's got to be across the board. If you offer benefits for this, you need to offer benefits. No, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about demanding minimum wage. You just had a job and you did it. So when Paul makes this statement in verse 19, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people, what he's actually saying is, I have given up everything so that one person, somebody might come to Christ. And it makes me wonder, in Western culture, 
civilized Christianity and our churches today, what have we given up to win someone? What have I given up? And I'm not even going to use illustrations because your minds can go there automatically. What did I give up this past week that somebody might know Jesus? And he describes it in depth. He just, in verse 20, he talks about becoming like a Jude in order to reach the Jews, like somebody under the law in order to reach those under the law. He himself isn't under the law, but he's willing to give up that to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, he became like those without the law. That doesn't mean lawlessness the way we think of it. He's talking about religious law, faith law, biblical law that he was familiar with as a former Jew. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, again, to win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I may be, by every possible means, save some. Now, it's impossible to become all things to all people because most of the people we would share with live lifestyles that are inappropriate for believers. Paul's not saying change your lifestyle in an inappropriate way that you might win somebody. But he is saying you can identify with them. You can, you can connect with them in a way that they might hear the hope that is in Jesus. We are in this to win anyone. And we're empowered by the gospel. Look at verse 23. Now I do all of this because of the gospel. The gospel, that word literally means good news. It is the good news of the message of hope that's found in Jesus. So that I may share in his blessings. That was my, that's what my friend was telling me. He was telling me how exciting. He was more excited to have shared his faith with someone than even the person who was receiving it in that moment. It's exciting to talk about Jesus. I mean, as I tell you how proud and how happy I am about our Astros, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I know it's the middle of church, but pastors have this unique ability to think on multiple tracks at one time. Our biggest struggle is to make sure we don't jump tracks and share the wrong tracks. And I do that all the time. That's why most people keep coming back. That's why they watch the live stream. It's like, what's he going to say today? I mean, it's just, I understand that. I know that about myself. But the whole time I'm talking about the Astros, I'm thinking to myself, as cardinal as it's going to sound, first pitch today is at 210. All of, our, all of our non-starters are probably going to be in the game. It's going to be a crazy game. It's going to be like watching college ball again because the, guys, the game doesn't matter today. We are there. And we are hosting the Chicago White Sox, who will lose this week, right here at Minute Maid. We get all those Chicago folks here, for, here in Houston for the game. So it'll be a great time to share your faith. People in Chicago need help. Up, oh, that jumped those tracks again. See, what I, now you got one. Um, you know, I'm thinking about that because it's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, hey by the way, if anybody's on Twitter, here, here's my tweet to Kyle Tucker. Clip it from the live stream and share it with him. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. It's not near as important as what I'm supposed to be talking about. We're empowered by the gospel. I, I, don't, I don't need extra energy to do this. The moment I asked Jesus into my heart, I had everything necessary to share my faith. In fact, it was so exciting that I probably did it more regularly and more frequently at that moment than I do even now. But I can be reminded 
I am empowered by the gospel, and that's the reason I do it. This good news of the hope that's in Jesus is for anyone, and it changes everyone who agrees with it and comes into relationship. And then the athletic imagery in the very last part of the chapter just simply is Paul saying, do whatever it takes. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize. Here's the highlight verse. Here's what I would want you to mark. Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who goes, who competes, exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable, eternal crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body, bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself may not be disqualified. Run in such a way as to win the prize.